Let's understand the world a little better. I'm your host, Timo Wunderlich, and with me is Sergei Guriev. He is a uh, Russian-French political scientist and professor of economics at Sciences Po in Paris. Before that, he was the chief economist at the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development and rector at Moscow's new economics school until he resigned and fled to France. He is the author of Spin Dictators, the Changing Face of Tyranny in the 21st Century. Let us get right in and let me first ask you, what are spin dictators? Thank you very much, uh, Timonto, for having me on your podcast. Indeed, this book is about a new concept, uh, which we uh, put together with uh, my co-author Daniel Trisman, with whom we've written a number of scientific articles. And that idea of spin dictatorship is the idea of a new model of uh, non-democratic regimes in the 21st century. And the spin dictators are different from traditional dictators in the way that they pretend to be Democrats. I asked you if we have a video on this podcast, and you told me that we do, and I'm wearing now, for people who just listen to the audio, I'm wearing now a gray business suit. So the difference between all dictators and spin dictators is exactly this. They don't wear military uniform or paramilitary uniform like Stalin or Mao or Pol Pot or uh, Latin American or African dictators of the 20th century. They wear gray business suits like me today. They travel to Davos. They shake hands with democratic leaders and they say maybe we are imperfect dictators. Uh, sorry, maybe we are imperfect Democrats. You see, I'm confusing themselves, but we are Democrats. We have elections. Uh, we are like you. Uh, we have some problems with media freedom, but we do have independent media. We do have multi-party systems. Yes, we win elections, but this is because people like us, not because we scare the people into submission. And that's the idea of spin dictatorships. Like spin doctors in the democracy, spin dictators in non-democratic regimes manipulate information and uh, uh, instead of uh, installing fear on their citizens, they try to become popular. They try to deceive people by pretending to be democratic leaders. Can we give, uh, get some examples of that? Well, I'll give you an example. So our book starts with Putin. Until 2022, Putin was a typical spin dictator. And he was doing this job extremely well. He was accepted in all European capitals. People talked to him. Uh, people did business with him. So that was a typical story, right? But uh, right now, if you look, for example, at uh, uh, Hungary, Hungary is now judged by political scientists as a non-democracy, not by all, but by many, because in Hungary, elections are not free and fair, because the government controls judiciary system and media landscape. And uh, this is not a democratic regime anymore. Yet it's part of European Union. Yet Viktor Orban comes to the council meetings. Yet he's a member of NATO. And uh, for all formal purposes, Hungary is considered to be a member of European Union and a democracy. Another example among people around the table uh, that would be um, in NATO, it would be uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Uh, Erdogan has elections. He chooses who opposes him in those elections. Uh, so, for example, the very popular mayor of uh, um, uh, uh, Istanbul, uh, Ikrem Imamoglu, was not allowed to run in the last presidential election. 
why? Because uh, he won twice, actually. He won twice the election in Istanbul, and Erdogan understood that this is a very popular opposition politician, and so he invented a special law which um, did not allow uh, the most popular opponent to run against him. Uh, Erdogan also controls media, social media, and so you have those uh, regimes which pretend to have competitive elections, but they always win those elections. But in the Western world, we do know of these problems. So why do spin dictators do this? For the population? So spin dictators want to stay in power, and indeed they want to manipulate information for the population. Uh, so to avoid the need to resort to brutal repression, because you think that you know that in the West, because you're interested in politics. But you cannot imagine how many ordinary people and some politicians in the West accept that Russia before 2022 was an imperfect democracy, that Hungary uh, is an imperfect democracy, Uh, we also talked about Ecuador. We also talked about uh, um, uh, we also talked about Kazakhstan, right? Kazakhstan is an interesting example. That's a country which doesn't invade anybody. It tries to avoid brutal repression of its own population, and it does a good job in attracting foreign investment, in talking to democratic leaders, in participating in international forums. And so uh, this is an example where uh, somebody who has a pretty much a single party regime, it's not even a single party regime, it's a personalistic dictatorship with a party which is run by this individual. Uh, this, this regime is accepted everywhere in the West. And the West says, okay, but there are elections, but there are some independent media. Even Soros Foundation is allowed to work in Kazakhstan. And so you think maybe it's, it's, it's uh, not uh, a brutal dictatorship. And so you need to convince the Western partners as well so they don't impose sanctions on you, they continue to trade with you, they uh, send uh, technology to you because you need technology, you need investment to have economic growth. And so this is the game these leaders play. Their game is be part of global economy. And to be a part of a global economy, you need to be accepted as an acceptable leader. You need to be somebody who is not scary like uh, Kim Jong-un or Bashar Assad, right? These are the people who uh, are brutal dictators like um, the brutal dictators of 20th century. Now, if you do censorship, you do it in a deniable way. Spin dictators say, well, we have independent media. Nobody reads them. Uh, but that's not because of me. It's because they are not doing a good job. And then you forget to mention that you exert secret pressure on businesses not to have anything to do with independent media, not to provide advertising budgets to independent media, not to subsidize independent media. So nobody observes the real censorship. The censorship is covered. Uh, there is research on Hungary which shows how uh, how Orban's government or people close to Orban co-opt media landscape by buying independent media who then subsequently change their editorial line. So this is a typical example how you do that in a deniable, implicit, uh, non-transparent way. The same thing with repression. You need to silence some people who remain in opposition, but you do it in a quiet way. You don't kill thousands. You 
put these people in jail on non-political charges. I mentioned Turkey, one political leader in Turkey from the opposition party was put in jail because he faked his medical certificate. So he forged his medical certificate, not because he was a leader of an opposition party. Uh, Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny in the past, not now, but in the past, he was uh, put in jail because he didn't pay taxes. He embezzled money, non-political at all, and Putin would say, well, I don't know about political prisoners in Russia. I just have uh, people who don't pay taxes or people who embezzle money of their business partners. This is not my problem. This is just a t- small petty criminal. It's not my problem. Uh, that not the entire Western population um, knows um, how democratic these states are or not. Um, I can believe that. But the leaders, the Western leaders, shouldn't they know? They should. And uh, some of them know. And some of them know that it's actually better for them if uh, there are no outrageous atrocities to accept that as a status quo. So they know, okay, this is somebody who is not winning his elections in a, in a clear way, but uh, my business lobbies want to continue doing business with him because that's where you can make money. And so if the spin dictator is not somebody whom my voters in the West, my media in the West, my civil society, my political establishment, my business establishment hates, Why should I uh, stop doing business with this person? And uh, you remember, right now we have in Germany Zeitenwende, the change of times. Uh, the change of times arrived only in 2022. Before that, German government and uh, uh, Madame Merkel, Chancellor Merkel, already said in 2014 that Putin is a guy who lives in a parallel reality. And she understood Putin very well Maybe not from the very start, but definitely for the last few years. Still, Germany was continuing to do business with Russia, was building Nord Stream 2, because that's where the money is. And every Western leader needs money to give money to voters, to reduce taxes, to invest in green transitions, to, uh, to fight inequality. So if you can make money in Russia, why shouldn't you do that? if it's acceptable by voters in your own country. And this is the goal of spin dictators. Spin dictators recruit enablers. Uh, this is the word for uh, PR consultants, former politicians, lawyers, investment bankers in London, Berlin, Paris, or Brussels, or Washington, who lobby on their behalf, uh, disseminating this image of somebody who's not a bad guy, somebody who's almost like us, And so we can do business with this person. And look, there is no open massive repression. So why should you say that he is a bad guy? He's an imperfect guy, but we are also imperfect. And this is one of the narratives which these people use. This is super important. Every problem in the West, such as corruption, uh, problem with immigration, crime, terrorism, um, is utilized and weaponized by those non-democratic leaders who say, well, we are corrupt, the West is corrupt as well. We have inequality and poverty, no economic growth, look at the West. In some Western countries, there are problems like this as well. And so this narrative, since these are spin dictators, for them spinning the narrative is very important. So this narrative mm. that the West is imperfect helps them to tell their public as well, well, I'm imperfect, but 
Nobody's perfect. So I should stay in power and run this country. So their public actually uh, believes in them, and um, but they don't. Do they believe in uh, the the democ democracies being free? So uh, this is what we discuss in the book. So uh, right now, if you look at the polls in Russia, Russia, Russia now is an open, violent, fear dictatorship coming straight from 20th century. And this change has happened in 2022. But before 2022, if you look at polls, polls are informative. Right now, I would say they are not very informative because if we have a conversation like uh, we are having today, if we have this conversation in Russia, we both go to jail for many years, right? So when a pollster calls you and says, do you support Mr. Putin's war or you believe that Mr. Putin is a war criminal? You know what to say. Uh, before 2022, The polls were informative, and in the book we show different ways to figure out how much support Mr. Putin had. And we show that, yes, given this informational landscape, given that people are actually victims of propaganda and censorship, they think that Russia is a democratic country, censorship is, maybe it exists, but it doesn't really distort the information I'm getting. Putin may not be very... Good as a leader, but better than the alternative. And so uh, for majority of Russian population, we would say in good years, Putin would have 70% of support, truly a true support. While in polls, you would still have 80 and after Crimea, you would still have 90. But 70% is a big, big number. And actually, in some of our papers uh, with uh, Dan Trisman, we show uh, the counterfactual analysis. What would have happened? to actual support of Putin or, say, Erdogan if we removed internet censorship or if we removed censorship of traditional media. And we show that you would more go from 70 to 35. It's really, um, given the censorship, people really like Putin. But if you had a free exchange on media, on social media, he would actually lose the great part of his support. And this is something that people don't understand, that the idea of Yes, the public thinks this, this, and this. This is conditional on the media environment. If I control media environment, uh, you would have a very different set of comparisons, set of realistic benchmarks. And so if Mr. Putin controls what you know, he can actually put an, up a narrative where he is the most competent leader you can ever have. When did that change from fear dictators to spin dictators actually occur? And maybe you can use Russia as an example, because I'm assuming it's a uh, not a fast transition. Like at one point they're fear dictators, then they're uh, the next day they're spin dictators. Um, so maybe you can uh, take a look at that. So um, there are there are uh, there are examples where a fear dictator becomes softer, or he's gone and replaced by a successor who says, I see that repression is not popular. Uh, we should uh, do things differently. People demand democracy, but I want to stay in power. And uh, this is a story of sp Spain, which didn't democratize right away, right? It took some uh, an, a sequence of uh, provisional leaders, if you like, after Franca, before we arrived at a full democracy. And, uh, or Gorbachev tried to democratize in this particular way. But eventually... Uh, eventually, this uh, trajectory is quite likely when the old repressive dictator is gone and the new one wants to do things differently 
and avoid using open repression. The, the issue is people don't really understand that, but the repressions are not popular. And this is something that we show with the data in one of our research papers. If you run a poll, and we use data from Gallup World Poll, uh, in some non-democratic regimes, you can have polls by Gallup, and you can actually use them. You can actually see when uh, you have more repression, the approval popularity of uh, uh, authoritarian leaders actually goes down. People don't like repression. And so if uh, your previous guy is gone, I'm, I'm using uh, guy, man, and so on, because all of these people are actually men. So if the previous guy is gone, uh, the new guy may say, well, I want to be more popular, and I move to a spin dictatorship. In Russia, the story was uh, that there was an attempt at democratization in the 1990s, which didn't work out. Putin comes in pretending to be a Democrat, and initially he had to work a lot to remove checks and balances, to uh, subvert the judiciary system, to install the censorship uh, system, to build a powerful propaganda system. So it took him some years. And political scientists believe that somewhere in the middle of 2000s, year 2006 probably, Russia became already a dictatorship. But it was definitely a spin dictatorship. The transition in the opposite direction may also happen. And already in the first edition of the book, we talk about how, uh, how Venezuela under Chavez was a spin dictatorship. But Venezuela, Venezuela under Maduro is actually a fear dictatorship. So uh, Chavez is gone. Um, Maduro comes in. Maduro doesn't have money to co-opt media, to co-opt the elites, because oil price goes down. In 2014, Maduro doesn't have charisma. Chavez had enormous charisma. And suddenly, uh, Maduro makes this brutal choice to say, I will fight to stay in power. I will repress everybody. I'll put everybody in jail. And so you have this interesting uh, distinction where you have a former colonel, Chavez, who is actually becoming a spin dictator and wearing uh, uh, business suits. And then you have a former bus driver who installs a repressive dictatorship and wears a paramilitary uniform. So it's not like you have to be a general to become a, a, a brutal dictator. It, these are the conditions that may drive you into it. And if you ask a question more globally, why do we see spin dictatorships in the 21st century? We speculate in the book that this is because the end of the Cold War, that's an important issue, because during the Cold War, United States would say Pinochet is a brutal dictator, situation with human rights is bad, but he's against communists, so we support him. After the end of the Cold War, you see, well, this is a brutal dictator, but communist uh, threat is no longer there. So we just listen to our own human rights organizations and tell him, look, you cannot torture people, we'll impose sanctions on you, right? And uh, this is the rise of human rights organizations, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, uh, in the, that particular time. You, you have uh, global media like CNN and rise of social media. So torturing people is noticeable right away. All the atrocities are uh, seen in, in, in real time. So it's very hard to hide massive atrocities. And also just the change of uh, globalization and modernization, which requires uh, anybody who wants to have a prosperous economy to be part of global economy. 
you can go into autarky like North Korea, but then you cannot develop. Or you can uh, go like Hungary or Turkey, become part of the global economy and benefit from new technology, benefit from foreign investment, and so your economy will be growing. And then this is, this is a very, very important difference between 21st century and 20th century. How about uh, democracies that became to be spin dict dictatorships? Uh, whether ever something like this where it successfully transitioned? So um, democracies, uh, there are, democracies may have leaders like Donald Trump or Silvio Berlusconi or Viktor Orban who try to become spin dictators. Berlusconi failed. Trump so far has failed. Uh, Orban has succeeded. And basically the idea is you come into office and you say, I'm a democratic leader, but I need to protect you. It's usually a populist narrative. I need to protect you from cosmopolitan elites. And for that, we need to break through all these checks and balances. So I need to change the constitution. I need to change the electoral law. I need to uh, have a judiciary reform. And then after a while, you see that the country is run by one person or one party. Uh, most of these uh, cases are actually one person. And there are no checks and balances. And you have a non-democratic regime, which still pretends to be a democratic regime. So we should be all very scared about Trump. If he wins the election, he will try to go much farther than in 2017. And uh, we see what's happened in, in, in uh, Hungary. And I can tell you that uh, before October 7, 2023, A lot of colleagues from Israel would uh, talk to me and say, we want to read your book because we want to understand what Netanyahu government is doing in Israel, how they change the judiciary system, whether it's actually going in the same direction like Russia went, like Hungary went, like Poland tries to go uh, before the recent election, and like Turkey went. So Turkey, Erdogan also asked, uh, started as a populist but Democrat. And then he dismantled all checks and balances, created this uh, executive president position. Turkey used to be a parliamentary republic, now it's a presidential republic. And put his opponents in jail, put journalists in jail, kicked out some people, and so built a spin dictatorship. And so once you look at those things, you can see that in many democracies, there are leaders who want to become spin dictators. And the job of civil society is to stand up to them and defend democratic checks and balances. And so far, we've seen that in the United States. We've seen how judges stood up to Trump. We see, we've seen how civil servants stood up to, front, uh, to, stood up to Trump, sorry, uh, for example, during 2020. And that really helped. But who knows what happens the next time. Uh, what else can we do to uh, prevent um, ourselves uh, from these spin dictators? How, how can regulations be more enforced so that that doesn't happen in our countries? Well, uh, we need to all uh, buy and read this book, uh, Spin Dictators. And uh, basically the idea is that you should remember the threat that is always there. Every populist leader, well, not every populist leader, but most populist leaders uh, actually are thinking about something like this. And so you need to defend the uh, independence of the judiciary. You need to defend separation of powers, checks and balances. 
parliamentary, uh, parliamentary powers. You need to defend independence of media. You need to make sure that social media don't disseminate too much false information. All of that is obvious, but democracy is in danger. And uh, what we talk about in this book, we talk about the system of spin dictatorship that all these leaders want to create. And so when you know how it ends, you also know which barriers we should defend, which, uh, which checks and balances which should defend. And this is informational landscape, judiciary landscape, and uh, of course, uh, uh, checks and balances, uh, separation of powers. So all of that, all of that is super important. On the other hand, we also talk in the book about how the West should handle the foreign spin dictators. And there you need to defend yourself against their enablers, against their bribes, against their uh, dirty money. This is very important. On the other hand, we also show in the book that these dictatorships are not omnipotent. And they have this problem that they need to pretend to be democracies, so they need to tolerate some civil society, which means if the West can somehow work with the civil society within those regimes, helping human rights lawyers, helping independent journalists, helping scholars, helping students, uh, being in touch. This is very different from, say, Soviet times. In Soviet times, the West could not actually reach out to dissidents or students or journalists because the system was closed. As today, we cannot reach out to North Korean op uh, opposition because there is none, right? So in spin dictatorships, and this is the great vulnerability of spin dictatorships, they need to pretend that they are not brutal. And so there is an opening for student exchanges, for foreign correspondence being placed there. For the God's sake, there are embassies that can do certain things with human rights defenses, def uh, de uh, defenders. So there are openings. And so this cooperation should continue. And then this is where it becomes very difficult. So if you have somebody coming from spin dictatorship to, say, London and doing business, or being a lawyer, or being a consultant. Your job is to figure out, is that an enabler working for the spin dictator, or it's a legitimate businessman with whom you should be in touch to promote change back there? And this is the most difficult thing. And this is where the West should invest in understanding those regimes. And this is where our book is not uh, sufficient. You really need to think about each particular case and understand which are the government players, and which are truly independent journalists, lawyers, business people. And this is hard. This is really, really hard. But this is what needs to be done. So are you, are you uh, still doing research on that? So yes, uh, we, we, don't, we don't do new research, uh, but uh, we talk a lot to policymakers about our results. And uh, we are thinking about potential new research. The research I'm doing now is research on disinformation, misinformation, on how to uh, stop uh, the false news propagating on social media, how do we regulate social media. And basically, our new research is about the measures you can use to uh, slow down sharing of false media. And interestingly, the most effective measure and the cheapest measure is um, a nudge where you just tell people, before sharing, think about the fact that there is a lot of false media propagating on social media. There is a, a lot of false content propagating on social media. And people think about this, 
And they're very good, actually, if they think, if they don't impulsively share, if they just take a pause, if they think, if they read this warning, they're very good in sharing true news and not sharing false news. And what we actually see, and this is one exciting uh, exciting uh, takeaway from this uh, research, is interventions like this not just slow down the propagation of bad stuff, but they also accelerate propagation of good stuff, of true news. This is very important. Why slowing down, blocking content is very easy. This is something that we know how to do. For example, I can say, uh, do you want to share this content? And they say, are you sure? Can you click once again? Can you click once again? And that slows down propagation of any content big time. But the, our, uh, the objective of our research is to find regulations that uh, are compatible with incentives of platform companies. They want more stuff circulating. And we want more true stuff circulating. So if we find interventions that slow down circulation of bad stuff and promote circulation of good stuff, that is something that companies actually can use. And this is, this is uh, the work uh, we are doing right now. Very interesting. I think there uh, isn't there already a social media platform that um, it does this this uh, disclaimer. Uh, I forgot which one is it. So there are many many interventions like this, and social media companies are doing that sometimes voluntarily. And I'll just give you an example. Um, uh, when I'm trying to I'm trying to remember this particular intervention. I'm trying to remember. I did see it some sometimes. Uh, there are other interventions like. Uh, uh, when you want to share something, people ask you, are you sure to share it because you've not read it? Mm-hmm. There are interventions like, uh, you want to see this thing, but we want to warn you that this is uh, potentially false uh, content. So here is a fact-checking link if you want to fact-check it. Or you want to see this content, but this is the content which uh, glorifies violence. So in order to see it, please confirm that you want to see it. So there are many interventions like this. And uh, this is this is this is really that uh, the frontier of research here is manipulating this uh, international environment of people, which may help to stand up to a dissemination of false news. And a lot of false news are coming from authoritarian propaganda. And this is also something that I am thinking about doing, actually using large language models to recognize authoritarian propaganda, and uh, and to see. Uh, which narratives authoritarian propaganda can uh, can uh, promote? I find that very interesting because um, also on YouTube, where all this um, podcast is also published, um, they do have disclaimers as well before watching a video or while watching a video. You can, um, when it's a hot topic, let's say um, you can see a Wikipedia link uh, about the topic. So, for for example, if you were to talk about COVID. Um, under the video would uh, pop up uh, the Wikipedia link uh, for Corona, and uh, so so that it tries to inform correctly um, uh, the viewer. Um, also, what happens uh, under certain cases is that uh, YouTube actually deletes um, posts when there's misinformation within the video. Um, we've seen this with uh, Corona videos, uh, for example, as well, where there have been uh, where there was misinformation. Um, I want to ask you, at what point do you think that becomes problematic since it's also a type of censorship in a way? Um, yeah. I, I, I think in this particular case, so far, we've not seen real censorship by social media 
And uh, yet, uh, I fully agree that in the U.S., especially where you have the First Amendment, which protects uh, freedom of speech, that is already problematic and will become even more problematic. You see, social media companies, the platform companies, uh, pretend to be platforms and not non-media. And this is what's called Section 2030 of Communication Decency Act, which says if you're just a platform, if you don't edit content, you're, uh, you're okay. We don't regulate you. And uh, because you don't edit content. But of course you do. If you, even if you think about something like Facebook, the very fact that you have an algorithm that uh, shows you some stuff and doesn't show you other stuff or shows you stuff in certain order, that's editing already. If you think about removing videos which contain problematic uh, information, that's editing already. And so this question will come up for sure. And social media companies will have to somehow figure out whether they are media or not and how we regulate media. In um, Europe, things are going in the right direction with the Digital Services Act, where we will have transparency of algorithms. So uh, basically, starting March 2024, uh, we will have uh, uh, the obligation of big platform companies to open their algorithms to researchers. And so that will already help us to understand uh, whether there is dissemination of false news, uh, pessimism, uh, optimized, uh, promoted, slowed down or not. Because this is the suspicion that in order to maximize their revenues, social media companies sometimes uh, regulate free speech, regulate fact-checking in the way which is not optimal for the uh, society. Uh, but uh, again, the question about uh, censorship is uh, very pertinent. What you've said is exactly right. So we want social media to slow down dissemination of false news. But do we want social media companies to decide what is true and what is false? That's extremely problematic. And uh, this, of course, is exactly why in Europe we have this Digital Services Act, which broadens the discussion, at least to the research community, where we will say, look, uh, you may decide and we will watch you. At least this is, this is still better. And in the US, I, I'm, I'm rather pessimistic because, because uh, uh, social media companies are very powerful politically and because there is a First Amendment which protects freedom of speech and actually doesn't allow government to regulate the content. And so lots of these issues are very, very complex and interestingly solutions in different countries are different. So we'll see, we'll see how, how it's going to work. Is there a way from um, how we from Western country or for, from uh, democratically, uh, from democratic countries can um, help in a way um, citizens from uh, living under spin dictators that uh, have censored media, um, that they get a more um, a wider spectrum of, um, of information? Well, uh, interestingly, in non-democratic countries, social media companies play a super important role. They, they help to circumvent censorship. And of course, the biggest challenge is the language. So how many Hungarian language... Uh, media are in democratic countries to talk to Hungarians in Hungary. In Russia, it's already better because you have BBC Russian service, you have Radio Free Europe Russian service, so it's a bit better. 
you also have opposition media which are on YouTube, even when they're kicked out of the country. And uh, the Western democracies are supporting media like this, which is great. And uh, the more you invest in circumventing censorship, the better. And I think eventually, eventually there'll be technical solutions. And when we talk about Starlink, when we talk about solutions to beam internet to non-democratic countries, that opens an opportunity for getting an independent point of view. And this is very, very important. And uh, another thing is, of course, always following those regimes, always condemning the violation of human rights, always trying to protect political prisoners, even if the regime calls them non-political prisoners. Uh, so whenever a Western leader talks to Vladimir Putin, it's important to say, we know that you have political prisoners and we require, we demand the release of political prisoners. Uh, and this is, this is also very important uh, for supporting the opposition, opposition politicians in those countries. And so these are, these are the things. And uh, of course, fight enablers at home. So fight corrupt money at home. And another thing is international cooperation. These regimes are very good in penetrating multilateral institutions, international organizations. So Hungary is a member of EU. Turkey is a member of NATO. And uh, when you look at Interpol, when you look at UN Human Rights Commission, you'll see a lot of non-democratic regimes there. And this is a big danger. And so the West should think about how to protect this liberal world order uh, for which we've created so many, so many international organizations, how to protect those international organizations from bad players. That's very interesting, especially mentioning the, um, that, that there might not be, um, a lot or that there are not a lot of Hungarian, for example, um, media sources. Uh, so with, more and more um, with better technology, um, YouTube, for example, now um, translates their subtitles. Um, other media companies also are uh, translating each post. Um, it will become harder for uh, these spin dictators to censor uh, social media, right? Exactly. China is in a different league and China is not a spin dictatorship. It's a proud dictatorship. They are very proud of being a one-party system, even though they have other parties. This is very funny. In China, you do have other parties, but they all support Communist Party. But So they're, they're not a spin dictator. They are not pretending to be a democracy. But there you have a great internet firewall, right? Uh, in other countries, you don't. And indeed, uh, that means that a person in a spin dictatorship can already watch Western TV, can already read the uh, New York Times. And there are, of course, still frictions. So you want uh, very good subtitles. You also want audio subtitles. You want to have online translation in real time. That's coming. That's just around the corner. But what we know from the studies is every additional click, every additional friction reduces uh, willingness to follow this or that media. So I think uh, the sooner the better. Uh, the, if this technology arrives, the technology that gives you access to internet, overcoming those firewalls, uh, gives you access to foreign media by translating them in real time, this is already, this is already a very important achievement, yes. Uh, you touched upon it before, uh, Netanyahu. Um, uh, you said... Um, that people were asking you about uh, your opinion on uh, on him um, in terms of our, should we be concerned? Um, what what is your opinion? 
Well, I think he was on the way to build a spin dictatorship in Israel. And uh, a lot of Israelis understood it and stood up to it. You had huge demonstrations against that. Uh, but uh, after the tragic event of October 2023, the situation is on hold. And so what happens after this particular conflict is finished, we don't know. But uh, his plan before October 2023 was indeed to remove checks and balances and build a spin dictatorship. And that's how you uh, would figure that out, seeing him um, uh, removing more and more checks and balances. Exactly. Okay. I, I was wondering, um, are you familiar with uh, a professor named Martin Dimitrov? Uh, that sounds uh, sounds familiar. No. Uh, he was actually in my podcast before. The uh, episode is not yet published, and uh, he also talked about dictatorships and uh, but uh, and information and how um, dictators actually get uh, their information. And uh, the one important number or ratio for that was um, the um, uh, critique, a uh, public critique of um, that. Uh, that can be raised uh, to the um, uh, to the government. Uh, the ratio from the public critique to um, the answer from the government to that. So that uh, actually dictatorships um, should try because uh, long living dictatorships um, have reached this number. That a forty percent ratio roundabout um, of um, critique to uh, response to that critique. Uh, I just found that very, uh, really interesting and also fitting to this uh, uh, conversation. Um, have you heard about that? No, I've not. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading this. I think it's very important. One of the things which is, um, uh, which is uh, uh, not a bug but a feature of non-democratic regimes is indeed a lack of feedback. So dictators suppress independent media, civil society, political opposition and they don't get feedback. And so they make mistakes because they surround themselves with yes men, with people who always say yes to them. And uh, that, of course, reduces the quality of decision-making. And uh, one example is Putin's uh, full-scale invasion in Ukraine in 2022, where he was sure that he has a strong army. He was sure the West is weak. He was sure the Ukrainian army is weak. And he was sure that Ukrainian society loves him. Why? Because he was told about this, but by but his advisors, he didn't have independent critical feedback, and that resulted in a catastrophic decision, which is very costly for Russia and for Putin as well. Um, partly one reason why I'm uh, why I brought this up is um, spin dictators. Uh, so um, your um, idea on new dictatorships, and also um, his uh, theory that uh, dictators should actually try to um, respond to critique more and more um i think that doesn't that show that dictatorships are also more and more um going into uh into the same direction as uh, democracies or western civilizations are so the dictators want to stay in power and they're always looking for uh, better ways to stay in power and today in the 21st century they need to engage with informational tools to a greater extent. So Stalin didn't need a political consultant. Stalin didn't need a, uh, independent media. Today, it's hard to run a country if you just kill everybody. 
You can, you will be a pariah, you will be a rock state, you'll have sanctions, your economy will be in trouble, and then eventually your own uh, friends will kill you. Now, with uh, North Korea, that's not happened. In Syria, it's not happened, but in many other countries, it uh, ended up very badly for dictators, even for very brutal dictators. And so in that sense, uh, in that sense, it's safer and more profitable to be part of the global economy, use information, uh, pretend to be a Democrat, pretend to take into account citizens' uh, uh, feedback and, and media, media stories. So it's, it's just a choice. And this choice is more suitable for today's reality. It's almost like a Darwinian evolution. Basically, in the 21st century, dictators have evolved into a new species to respond to the ch change in the external environment. So can, is it possible to say from a, a Westerner's values perspective that um, spin dictators are better than um, fear dictators? They're better because they kill fewer people. Okay, yeah. Uh, that's good. No, that's good. Uh, what is not good is when they successfully fool their population and the West. They can stay in power for very long and uh, they undermine their economy. Their citizens are not living in a free country. And eventually you can end up with a situation like uh, Venezuela in 2014 or um, situation in Russia in 2022 when the dictator is in a dead end and decides to go to the brutal model. So if you can uh, strangle uh, the spin dictatorship while it's still young, if you can somehow push it in the direction of democratization, that's what should be done. So, and this is, this is the only thing you can do once you understand that this is a spin dictatorship and not a democracy. Basically, The goal of spin dictators is to pretend to be Democrats, and so the West doesn't pay attention, and this is the danger. Once you recognize who that is, spin dictatorships, of course, are less dangerous than fear dictatorships. Uh, but so it is harder from a uh, going from a spin dictatorship uh, to a democracy than from a fear dictatorship it, to a democracy. Uh, it's not. It's not harder. I would say. Uh, And democracy may become more durable. Why? Because the more brutal you are, the harder it is to rebuild uh, democratic institutions. In spin dictatorship, you pretend to have some independent media. You, you do have some independent media, but they're just too small. You don't kill every opposition politician, so you still have potential new political forces who exit from jail and start doing uh, democratic politics. So I would say... It's, uh, it's not impossible and it's not probably harder. And in the book, we give examples of Ecuador after uh, uh, um, um, the previous leader. We do have Armenia in 2018. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Evo Morales. So after Evo Morales in 2017 and Armenia after Sargsyan in 2018, these regimes uh, moved basically to democracy. That happens. And uh, that happens because spin dictators sometimes make mistakes as well, because they're also not very well informed, and the reforms they uh, undertake sometimes backfire, and so they lose power. That happens as well. Now, before we go into our second segment, uh, which is some um, rapid-fire questions, um, I would like to ask you, is there anything else that I uh, should have asked you that I didn't, or anything else you want to add? 
No, you, you asked everything that I uh, wanted to talk about. Basically, uh, my uh, simple takeaway from this conversation is do think about those issues. Do remember that uh, not everybody who wants to look like a Democrat is actually a Democrat. And uh, be very well aware of the fact that democracies may collapse, that there are many bad actors around who want to convert uh, fra uh, fragile democracies into spin dictatorships. And so defend your democracy before it's too late. Okay, then over to the rapid fire questions. Um, I would be grateful if you could answer each questions, a question in around about two to three sentences so that they are really rapid okay. fire. And um, note some of these are more personal, so not directly linked to your field necessarily. Uh, are you mm -hmm. ready? Yes. Uh, if you had a big poster, let's say on Times Square, everybody would see it, um, what would you put on it? I would say defend uh, peace, freedom, and democracy. Do you have a favorite quote? Well, that's <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, um, it's uh, it's basically it's it's basically a quote like uh, "Do what you think is right. Do the right thing. Do the right thing, and let 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 it happen. What what happens?" I'm trying to translate it from a different language, but I I, I don't remember how. But basically, do what you deem right, and let things happen as they happen. What would you have liked to know when you were 20? So I would like to have an insight into the future. And uh, overall, things worked out pretty well for me. But uh, I, I would like people who are 20 to understand better what they actually want in life. A controversial opinion. I believe what almost nobody else does. I'm a very mainstream person. My views are very mainstream and simple, and there is actually not much that I contradict the mainstream. So. Okay. Um, what is your newest, biggest insight? So we talked about this. We talked about our research on disinformation, and my newest, biggest insight is that very simple interventions like nudges, like uh, reminding people that there is a lot of uh, false news on social media, that already helps a lot to slow down circulation of uh, false content and promote circulation of uh, true content. And this is something that surprised me, and I'm very excited about this. Let's let's say political um, sciences and economic sciences um, together. So not necessarily just your book. Um, what do you say the biggest? What is the biggest problem in your area currently? Well, the biggest problem is actually political leadership. How do you find the right political leaders for democracies? And this is linked to both economics and politics. Voters want competent, economically competent leaders who can deliver prosperity, equality, environmental transformation. And so you need to know a lot to be a successful democratic leader. On the other hand, you need to be connected to people. You need to represent them. And if uh, you are very educated, you have experience of working in important places, you lose touch with ordinary people. And that's the biggest problem. And a lot of people complain today, well, where are those great leaders? 
And uh, the problem today is, and sorry to be long, but uh, this is actually the biggest problem in the field. The problem today is no good people cannot or do not want to go to politics because it's hard. It's it's uh, dangerous because uh, transparency has increased and uh, it's very hard to combine connection with the voters and uh, technical skills. Now, how would you try to solve that problem? So this is what I'm doing. I'm do- My job is to train new leaders. And uh, basically at Science Po, we are trying to make sure that people whom we teach hard skills, how to regulate social media, how to uh, move to a greener economy, how to fight inequality. We combine those with social skills and with uh, internships in places where people connect to ordinary voters. And uh, we want to make sure that students are in touch and remain in touch with ordinary people. The politicians don't forget why they're politicians, what they work on and whom they work for. And so it's just hard work, but it can be done. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy that I'm part of this uh, part of this project. So not necessarily linked to your field. Um, how would you spend $10 billion to make the world a better place? 10 million or 10 billion? Billion. Well, uh, it's, very, it's very easy. At this time, we have a very brutal war going on in Ukraine. And so $10 billion should be given as weapons to Ukraine. The sooner this war ends, the safer and more free, uh, more democratic the world will be. Because this regime, Putin's regime, is dangerous not just for Russia, not just for Ukraine, but for the whole world. And uh, finishing this war and finishing Putin's regime is very good global public good. What do you think of Noam Chomsky? So it's hard. Uh, I respect him as a scientist, but recently I've seen his interviews and speeches, and I think um, uh, he wants to stand up to America, forgetting that uh, America is actually opposing today the forces which are evil. And uh, when you start putting blame on the United States, on the West, for what players like Putin are doing, I think it's false and it's dangerous and it's wrong. Uh, one question uh, from these rapid fire questions that I want to, uh, you you can, uh, gl- I'm glad if you talk longer about this. Um, what do you think are, um, h- how do you inform yourself about the world? Uh, how do you think uh, that is done best um, navigating through misinformation and um, so on, fake news? So I subscribe to newsletters from mainstream media. Uh, and today you have lots of newsletters by each uh, mainstream newspaper. So you can uh, choose a topic which interests you more. And by using uh, reliable sources such as, I don't know, New York Times or Financial Times that I use, you can be sure that this is not misinformation. Sometimes these organizations make huge mistakes, but this is rare and this is always recognized. Then I'm following social media, but there as well, I'm trying to remember the source. If that comes from a source which I don't know, I, I doubt uh, what's, what's being told. 
and I want the second confirmation. If that comes from a source which is a mainstream media, or it's a source that I know personally, or I know this person has a reputation that he or she is afraid of losing, I, uh, I trust and I save time on fact-checking. But in general, we have a lot of information, I would even say, too much information, and it's very important to always understand what is reliable and what's not. That is very interesting, the part with the reputation. Uh, could you name uh, maybe your three most read or watched uh, news sources so uh, listeners can copy? So for me, uh, I uh, in English, uh, I follow New York Times, Financial Times, uh, and in France, Le Monde. Le Monde is available in French and I think in English as well. So, But basically, just old mainstream media, which have a lot to lose, if they start doing crazy things. And uh, that's that's why I think uh, you should trust them. I like that. Well, thank you very much, uh, Sergey. If you want to know more about uh, him and his insights, um, buy his book, Spin Dictators, The Changing Face of Tyranny in the 21st Century. And uh, yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you very much, Timo. Thank you.